This is Fooditor Radio. Fooditor Radio is back in front of a live audience at the Taste of Chicago's Food for Thought podcast stage. I'm Michael Gebert, editor of Fooditor, with my guest Nick Kendelsberger of the Chicago Tribune and David Hammond of New City, Oak Park Journal, and more. Gentlemen, you may start your deep-fried cheesecakes. Well, hello and welcome. We have a lovely view of the uh, Buckingham Fountain here, which I hope is not drowning out all the audio. Um, yes, so we have Nick Kindlesberger over here from the Chicago Tronk Tribune thing. Yes, thank you very De- much. Death Star. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll take that. That's all well-deserved. <laughs> and David Hammond, who, what do you do? Uh, New City, dining and drinking editor, and uh, Wednesday Journal. Food writer. And that's in, uh, where's that, Des Moines? Beautiful Oak Park, Illinois. Oak Park, Illinois, which is somewhere west of here. Out right. there. Right. Toward O'Hare or something. Someplace no one goes. And uh, oh. <laughs> lovely Oak Park. Uh, and we, let's, let's talk about food. They must have food even in Oak Park or a Costco or something. And uh, Nick? has been has been a uh, indefatigable researcher of tacos lately so let's start with tacos I, first of all are there any tacos at the taste of chicago i don't know uh i that is a great question there is today um rojo gusano is here as a pop-up restaurant for at least today they were here yesterday but so today's probably the last day you can get them and then uh, Carbone was supposed to be here before Ooh. a uh, slight outbreak. A little problem uh, with E. coli, yes. yes. Uh, which could happen to anybody. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more sometimes. But uh, it could happen in the hot sun. That's true, yes. So. Um, so let's, yeah, but let's talk about tacos. Tacos are a big thing. It's interesting, as you say, that they're not, uh, they're not at the taste of Chicago, but... Uh, maybe that's a reflection of the fact that they're not a hugely organized and industrialized cuisine. It's a, it's a mom and pop cuisine in, in Chicago, which is the good thing. Um, I don't know. That sounds that sound unless very, it's Taco Bell. When it's well, yeah, we're, we'll just ignore that. It's hard to uh, replicate, yes, on a mass scale, the warming of corn tortillas in an efficient manner. They have to be done immediately before eating, or they'll get tough or dry so I think that's why no one has been able to you know replicate the taco for the masses in a way that your local taqueria can do in a much more efficient manner. One sign of uh, progress and an encouraging sign is that so many uh, vendors at Maxwell Street Market for instance now all serve handmade tacos or tortillas I mean they're all made right there on the comal they're all very fresh and absorbent and lovely and that wasn't always the case. I mean, I remember when Maxwell Street, there'd be about half the vendors would have uh, taco or tortillas coming out of a package from a store. Yeah, and they're all using um, really, like, fresh masa, not even uh, masa harina that's dried. So that's really cool, yeah. Which is one of the things that, that really sets Chicago apart, I think, is the fact that it's so easy to get fresh masa, a big tub of masa, that uh, you can then have somebody pat out into tortillas or put in the... Uh, the tortilla vice that squeezes them out. Uh, that, I don't think that's true in a lot of places. 
It's um, extremely lucky in Chicago, and not only is it easy to get, but it's extremely cheap, too. So you can you know, get a whole box for just a few dollars. And thanks to our large Hispanic population, the uh, standards of, for tortillas in Chicago are very high. We have a lot, of vent, a lot of people making tortillas, and they're pretty darn good, even when you buy them in the store in a package. Are the tacos as good as the tortillas? I think that's a question sometimes. That is a... Uh, is it, We have we have a uh, a vote for Rubios from the audience here and uh, Rubios or Rubies? Rubies, I'm sorry, yes. Rubies, which uh, which is at Maxwell, as 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 you might be aware, David. Yeah, well, I was actually there last weekend, and thankfully I got there early to Rubies, and uh, so there are only like seven people in line. It still took 20 minutes to get my my taco, and they have what seems like a fairly sophisticated expedited taco delivery system there. But it takes an incredibly long time. And when I left the market, there must have been like 60 or 70 people in line. You'd be waiting an hour. Now, I, I like Ruby's tacos, but I don't, I'm not going to wait an hour for anything. Anything. But don't you think part of that is because they make them kind of thick? They're like thick and chewy, and that's nice. And that takes, that takes a little while to cook. Yeah, and I think Nick made a good point in his uh, taco review in the Tribune that you might be tempted when waiting in line at Ruby's to just run over to Manolo's. <laughs> Which, but don't make that mistake. I, I didn't. I didn't. I wanted to try Ruby's. Although, you know, it, you, you do discern a difference huh, between the two Manolo's and Ruby's. I do. I, uh, I've done them side by side before. And, you know, it totally depends on the day and what the meat is like at each specific place. But I, I did find Ruby, Ruby's to be, uh, on the whole, just much better. Um, but, you know, Manolo's has its days, too. And it, everything there, by the way, is uh, the average is extremely high. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to really go wrong in any place. Hey, Nick, you know, you had said, I don't know where. Uh, well, we know you love tacos. We That's know true. you love tacos. Yes. Um, and a taco is really just a type of sandwich. I don't mean to minimize it at all. But, I mean, it's a, a protein enclosed in a carbohydrate platform, right? Uh, th- I mean, I- not to minimize, but I, th- I think that's... A high-level description of what a what a, a sandwich. Our special guest Alton Brown here. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually fight you on that. Oh, good. Um, yeah. I don't think that it's a sandwich, um, because, well, let's see how I can. Do is this. a hot dog a sandwich? A hot dog is a sandwich. It's a bread product that, uh, as you said, encloses meat. But a tortilla is its own thing. It is not made except for when you have a flour tortilla. Uh, a flour. <laughs> okay. But the mm-hmm. corn is, uh, and I think tacos differ. You can have a sandwich with just bread and meat and nothing else, and that would still classify. But a taco without salsa isn't a taco, I don't think. What's a quesadilla? Or a quesadilla is uh, I mean, a quesadilla. No, it's it's no, a quesadilla. There's, no, there's no salsa in a quesadilla frequently, right? That is true. There's usually some put on top, but that's why it's not a taco. I don't think that, I think that you can cook the the salsa can be involved in some process you can cook meat in salsa and then put it on it's not like you have to drizzle salsa on but salsa is vitally important to the definition Uh, of a taco really okay well you know i'm going to chart this out i think we need like a tree structure of where all these sandwiches go on the the great chain of sandwiches all right let me ask you a question are s'mores a sandwich uh yes i would say a s'more is a sandwich Mm, that's a great David question. David Hammond has to leave, so <laughs> thank you. I don't actually like s'mores, but I, I'd say they're a sandwich. What? <laughs> they never work. They never work. They but never that's work. not the point of them working or not. It's <laughs> they just work whether if or not you're they... eight. Well, the chocolate never melts. 
you put in the, the marshmallow, which immediately starts cooling. It never melts the chocolate. So you have like this hard hunk of, of chocolate and this mushy marshmallow. You know what would work great on a s'more is mole. Because oh, then yeah. it would already be liquid. And then it would be a sandwich, according to Nick. <laughs> it would be a sandwich. Or a taco. I don't know. Maybe put some pastrami in it, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, where, where were we on the subject of, of I tacos, was, I tacos was, and tortillas? I was defending <laughs> tacos from the besmirching of David Hammond calling them a sandwich. The, the sandwich is the high-level definition. I'm going to let this go right now, but this isn't over burger. No, I'm going to say it. Let's keep going. I think that the old world is the sandwich, and the new world is the taco, and uh, I think that it goes back that far. What a Eurocentric viewpoint you have. <laughs> well, I'm celebrating the taco here. I like tacos, as too. the new world creation that uh, is superior. Now, let, let, something we both agree on, I believe, is that you had slammed the, uh, I think, the Dorito hard shell taco. Yes, I did. And now, how do you, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that you have kind of a, a, a jaundiced view of hard shell tacos, whether or not they're made out Didn't of Didn't ev- anyone who grew up in um, middle America have oh, yeah. hard shell tacos oh, sure. with oh, McCormick's yeah, totally. seasoning tacos inside? Mm-hmm. And once you've discovered something else, isn't that just something you want to forget? Right, but there can be good hard shell okay, tacos. Okay, yeah, that's what I was getting at. And, uh, but it's, it's a totally different kind of thing in that they start, you have to start with soft corn mm-hmm. tortillas, put the filling in, and then fry the whole thing. Dorado style. Yes, Dorado mm-hmm. style. And that way, you get the crispy exterior and sort of containing a softer uh, interior. So you get that great texture of interplay. Um, and that's, uh, you know, they, they do that in Mexico all the time. Which I, you don't see much in Chicago. Was it that long, long gone and cherished place, Tacos del Pacifico, where they did the tortilla fried, fried, fried fish, fish, basically seafood, yeah, inside, which was great. You don't see that very often. And I agree, Nick. I think that's a great way to do it. Correct me, though, if I'm wrong. I think in your top 50, were there any tacos like that, that were fried, Dorado style? There, there were. Uh, I'm trying to think the name of the place. It's on the south side. It's very good. Taco Mex, that might oh. be it. South Shore has a collection of uh, two or three hard shell taco places. Um, so, you know, it's, it's quite a hike from central Chicago. But, it's sort um, of the Galapagos Islands of tacos right. it had its own evolutionary development <laughs> down it's there. on the east side of chicago which hmm. you know most people don't think exists there is but one. <laughs> uh and they're doing it and they're not making a big deal about it that's just the way they've always done it they never made you know it, 30 years ago if they had transitioned to buying pre-made fried tortillas um the u-shaped sort of things um to cut costs or whatever they uh you know wouldn't be any good anymore but because they they continue to do the old style where they wrapped it and fried the whole thing they're suddenly trendy now i think well and i think if you want a hard shell in a mexican restaurant there's that exists it's a tostada you just you have the tostada it's flat you pile stuff up on it it's not a taco it's a tostada but i think cooking the protein within an enclosed space like that especially with seafood is a great way to go speaking of things that are cooked inside things uh you you're also you're also working on uh, hamburgers right now that's true um this is not quite as exciting but uh i've been challenged to eat at every uh national fast food chain 
that serves a burger to see which one uh, has the best. Have you filed a grievance with the union over this yet? No. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, I find this sort of fascinating in a very bizarre way. Uh, I haven't been to a lot of these places since I was a teenager. So returning to many of them for the first time in a long time is, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting it, at the very least, if not always that delicious. Well, and we both come from smaller Midwestern towns and the thing that really struck me about burgers, we were talking about this earlier, is in most of the most of the Midwest, certainly if you go over to Indiana from here, you'll find that the way people make hamburgers, it's it's what's come to be known as the smash burger. You have you have actual raw fresh meat and you smash it down on a grill and it has like kind of the if it's particularly if it's cooked to accentuate this, it'll have like little crispy edges around the edge. But in any case, it has a lot of direct contact with the grill from fresh meat and that just is a different experience from what seems to be ubiquitous in Chicago which is the box of hockey puck burgers. And I think the impact of the beef on the grill tends to kind of splatter out the edges and make them all lacy and crisp which is a plus that yes you can't get when you're using a clamshell grill. You have to cook them high and long enough to get that lacy effect but yeah the it's just it's a different thing the meat's crumblier it hasn't been you know, it, Eddie Lakin, who has Edzos, said to me once that the boxed beef is kind of, it's like they've made it into a sausage without a wrapper. They, you know, it's, it's been manipulated enough and worked over enough that it doesn't have that crumbly beef texture. It has the texture of, you know, meat. Homogenized kind meat, of. Yeah, homogenized. Yeah, that's a very kinda. good way to put it. Um, I don't know if you guys have eaten a uh, quarter pounder from McDonald's lately, but... It has a very interesting texture that one would not consider uh, meat-like. It is is very meat-like. It is very juicy, but um, it does not taste like a cheeseburger that you could make just using fresh Mm -hmm. meat at home. Mm -hmm. And you wonder how that was done. Yeah, I mean, it's just it. I think in a lot of ways, it's it's the system deliberately mishandles it to make it this thing that will hold together as a piece. And they've just worked the meat too hard. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's been frozen. Plus, who knows what else they'd do to it. Yeah, and that's definitely the case with the big national chains, the big three, Wendy's, Burger King, and McDonald's. Well, you know, what's fascinating, though, are some of the smaller chains that are popping up using fresh meat. You know, I think Five Guys was the first one that sort of came here. And I'm not a huge fan of Five Guys, but uh, I've been very impressed with Smash Burger um, and uh, Culver's, which is a great Wisconsin chain. does a very good job. Um, using fresh meat and uh, more of the smash burger technique. Well, it's kind of a, a little bit of a sad thing in that I think really a lot of those, you know, there's all these up-and-coming burger chains. I have another one that's about to open by me called Bear Burger, B-A-R-E, not B-E-A-R. Uh, but, uh, you know, these, what's the industry term? Fast casual. Yes, that is uh, Kind of slightly slightly nicer places actually do better burgers than you know what used to be all over chicago especially when i moved here which is like the the kind of you know greek hot dog stand places that all use the box beef and they they had burger buns that were kind of too substantial they did they weren't cheap enough to be good hamburger buns you know i think i think that's kind of essential to the burger is that you know the softness is the softness of the cheap white bun and and there's not too much of it right and you know and those places just were never really that good. Right. 
it, you can feel sort of nostalgic for the end of that kind of era, but the food was never really part of that, I guess. <laughs> you can feel sad that some of these Greek diners are going, but, it, you know, that was not their strong suit by any means. Right. I mean, it was it was watching the waitresses interact with the old drunks <laughs> there, or at least, you know, some of the other more specific to Chicago things. I mean, I wrote I wrote a piece for you at, uh, at Sirius Eats about the... Uh, the marinated grilled chicken sandwich which is like a a greek diner thing it's never going to be that great but it's it's a very reliable chicago kind of thing yeah no i thought that was fascinating these foods that sort of end up part of every greek diner menu and no one knows why it's belgium waffle why does everyone have a belgium waffle denver omelet a denver omelet Mm -hmm. yeah boardwalk I, I don't know what, what that is, but... Uh, oh, Boardwalk in Atlantic City. Is that where all, all Greek... Is that the font of all Greek restaurant wisdom? Maybe. Where the Belgian wa- Belgium waffle comes from. I, you know, you, had to, you knew it couldn't be actually Belgium. Belgium, right. <laughs> right. Um, so I don't know. What do you expect to... What do you expect to find out there about uh, about burgers? Ultimately, what's what's the the epiphany that you're hoping for? I don't know if I, I don't know if there is an epiphany. Uh, uh, you know, I'm just trying to kind of. It, I'm interested in the cooking process of each place and how they get it done. Uh, burgers are such a uh, mechanical process in a lot of these fast food places, and you know how they choose to cook it and how it's presented to you. Can they replicate that on a, you know, an efficient manner over a long, like for a lot of different people? Um, I think that's a little bit interesting. Um, but in the end, the best burgers are almost always just some guy throwing a ball of meat on the griddle and just smacking it to hell. <laughs> you hope. Well, but, that, but they weren't here. That's, that's the problem. Is so. there any way you can save a bad burger with condiments? Um, I believe in the power of pickles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are a beautiful thing. They're crunchy and salty, and uh, mustard is always good. I'd say raw onions also come or in. Or grilled there. onions. Even grilled. Grilled onions are good. Uh, I have come to appreciate the sort of lettuce, tomato, pickle trinity, um, especially with some of the, wor- the worst burgers. Um, it, that interplay between the, the fat and, you know, salt and then the sort of crunchy is, is kind of nice. And that can save or save a bad, bad burger. I don't know. To me, that's, you've, you've made a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich and left the <laughs> burger, left the bacon out of it. Uh, it seems kind of a betrayal of what the, uh, the virtues of the burger should be. Well, it also dilutes the beefiness of it, too, if you're, you're adding tomato and lettuce. Which, and I like tomato and lettuce, but I think it does kind of dilute. Oh, it definitely dilutes it, but... You know, it's if bad it be- beef, if I it's guess bad that's beef. a plus, right? <laughs> There's no doubt that it dilutes, but yes. If you're faced with uh, you know, commodity beef that's been frozen, yes, mm-hmm. then your options that's are slim. Well, let's talk about this in terms of... Uh, it seems like kind of a, a trend... Chain or a, a, a sea change uh, in in Chicago dining. Uh, for me, you know, when I when I and David too, when we start, sort of started writing about food, there was a clear dichotomy between high end and low end, and they've come so much together. And you've seen, you know, sort of more 
culinary respectability and care come into things like burgers and I've got a good example hot of that. Dogs and the, so on. Uh, David has a good the example fast, of that. Uh, the fast casual restaurant rising to the level of almost fine dining at uh, Animale, the new place that opened that. in I mean, perfect... uh, Wicker Park. Uh, Aldo Zenotti's uh, new place. Uh, Cameron Grant is the, uh, is, the chef. is the chef there. But they're serving things, like, and this is, I mean, for anyone who's been to the Purple Pig, this is going to be no shocker, but they're serving things like tripe and rabbit liver and other items that you wouldn't usually find it a fast casual place and they're prepared with a lot of skill they're not just turned out and you do go up to a counter and order just as you would at a fast casual place but the atmosphere is significantly elevated and I think the food is at that level it's it's much better and much more unusual than you might believe would be possible at a fast casual place and the prices are a little higher than they'd be at McDonald's <laughs> well you know rabbit livers I mean the, you I don't even know where to get that at Jewel, but uh, rabbit department. <laughs> the rabbit department. Um, I have a great example too. Uh, uh, as far as low end, sort of approaching high, uh, Maple and Ash, which is the mm-hmm. uh, very luxe new steakhouse in the Gold Coast. Instead of having a big sort of fine cheeseburger on their menu, they're serving a double cheeseburger that's been griddled. Um, so even the ch- double cheeseburger, griddled burger, has made it to the steakhouse, and uh, it is a beautiful thing. So are they are they making it from uh, uh, ribeye scraps or? I hope what, so. It's very yeah. No, it, it, they're using really good meat, but instead of sort of doing the sort of really tall, proud steak burger, they're uh, they're embracing the low end, and I think they're doing it an incredible now job. Now let's talk about that tall, proud steak burger. I mean, the really and there are some burgers that seem like they're stacked maybe a half a foot high, <laughs> or so. Now Nick yes. and Mike. Do you grab those in your two hands and bite into them, or do you use a knife and fork? Because I use a knife and fork, and I always feel a little prissy doing that, but there's no way I can manhandle that thing into my mouth. I just don't order it when, it, when it's got, like, <laughs> chipotle peppers Let's say you did and order cold pork <laughs> and a, two slices of bacon and three different cheeses and some coleslaw and, you know, some uh, apple cinnamon Cheerios and who knows what all on top of it. It's, I don't know. You know, if I go to one of those places where I've got the checklist of 63 possible things that I can put on my burger. That's like not high on your list. Kimchi and stuff like that. I end up putting, like, mustard, pickle, and onion. But what, do, you, do you go knife and fork, Nick, or do you go uh, all in? I, will, I don't think I've ever done the knife and fork. I don't want to say anything about you, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm more in, in Mike's camp you know i think that uh, usually the problem is the bun is too big and it's too bready uh and uh so but i'll, I'll usually just compress if i can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah those are not my favorite style yeah if it's coming apart so much that it's like it almost loses the point of why, why put it on, on a bun plate. why put it on a bun yeah right. yeah put it on a to pizza. me that's that seems sloppy it seems it seems uh, bad burger management. But I feel like restaurants felt like they had to do that. They had mm-hmm. to make it look special. They had to make it, you know, bigger. Imposing. And, bigger. Yeah. And that was, the, that was the trend for so many years is how big can the burger patty be and how many ingredients How big can, can it, everything be? The yeah. Bloody Mary, the pizza, the whatever. Yeah. So I'm, I uh, am happy to see it sort of coming back, back down to earth <laughs> with the... Right. I mean, when I think so much of that is compensation for the fact that industrial beef doesn't really have much flavor so mm-hmm. 
Uh, so let's put onion rings, chipotle's on mm-hmm. onion rings, maple syrup on it, and see mm-hmm. what happens. Uh, yeah, it's just not. Uh, it's not. You know, when when you have good beef that tastes like you know you've got beefy, a beefy taste to it. Why do you need sixty three other flavors in there? Right. So something like David Burke's burger, which is pretty mm-hmm. simple and streamlined, like that, that is a wonderful burger. High quality beef too. High quality I, beef. I can't. Was it forty or forty five day? dry-aged beef or something going into that. So you can really taste the difference, and that's one steak burger that like, I, really, I really do like. So going back to you know, something like, like Anamale, um, or, you know, there's, there is this kind of thing. I mean, you're talking about that, the, the ingredients there, so they're high-end food, but they're also kind of peasant food. I mean, it is oh, yeah. awful, particularly is something that is, you know, you're using up the scraps, and... Mm-hmm. To me, what's interesting is not just that these things are available, but that the techniques that went into it that were sort of the province of the high-end restaurant, because you you know you didn't have mm-hmm. Italian sausage makers at, at you know the Bob Evans, and you know now those kind of more casual places are also taking that level of care. You know, is that just because we're all too precious for our own good in America now, or oh, what? I think in some ways it makes it taste better. Now, I've had tripe probably a dozen times in my life, and I can't say it's one of my favorite things. I always take a bite or two or three, and hopefully there's some good lambrusco or something to help it go down. <laughs> but I can't say it's a favorite food or even in my top 100. However, that tripa I had at Anamali, was, it was sliced thin. It was in a salsa verde. I actually went back for seconds, which might be a first for me on the on the tribe thing. So I think the kind of finer slices, which is something you'd find in a higher end restaurant, a well made salsa that went on top of it, it was great. Do you ever get tripe tacos? I have had tripe tacos. I've had eyeball tacos. Well, yes. Now I don't think Nick has ever had the opportunity now, see, to try one of those. I, there, I haven't. No. I asked a different question than the one you answered. Do you go out looking no. for them, David? You've no. You've had them. No. Tripe tacos. But, no. Okay. I know where to get them. I don't have to look for them. So no eyeball tacos for you? Uh, actually, they're very hard to get yeah. at the Maxwell Street. I don't market. think they have them anymore. I went to the vendor who usually has them, and he said no. He said no, don't have them. So. Yeah, no. I, last time I went, they didn't have them, and then the other times I've gone specifically to look for them. You know, they sell out within an hour of opening. Maybe so. you have to know somebody who knows somebody. That's true. Or bring your own eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, that was the worst taco I've ever had in my life. No question. The eyeball taco. Yeah. You know, it's the uh, the description of having to spit out the lens. That <laughs> the nerve. Yeah, the nerve. The optic nerve. Yeah. Pulling pulling nerve out of your teeth. Yeah, that that was that was a line I. You know, I can't I even say I'm glad cross. I had it just to write it off my bucket list because I don't think it's on anybody's bucket list. <laughs> um, so I mean, what do we think? Uh, oh, I know. Speaking of tacos and the whole peasant food becoming fancy food thing. Uh, who's been to Rick Bayless's new places, Lena Brava and Cruz Blanca, which I can never remember. Both which Nick of, and I have. Which of them is what? I yes. only. I, I haven't been to Lena Brava, but I've been to Cruz Blanca many times. So, so which is which? Cruz Blanca is the taqueria in uh, beer place with the sort of grilled meat options. And, and Lena Brava is the Baja Mexico more more seafoody one. Is it's that a fancier right? place fancier, too. Fancier, yes, fancier. Okay. You know, one thing I really liked at Cruz Blanca, I, the tortillas, tacos, I had a, a problem with, but I think it was my fault. The beers at uh, Cruz Blanca, I thought, were fantastic. Jacob Sembrano is the beer guy there. 
he's making like, oddly enough, like mid-19th century German, Flemish, and French beers because those influenced the development of beer culture in Mexico. So he's making some extremely unusual brews, but good, very good stuff. Yeah. Now with, with the tacos, the mistake I made, and I don't know if this happened to you, Nick, they serve it with a, a pepper called a huero, G-U-E-R-O, and it's, I, I, missed, I thought it was a Cubano, which is a very mild chili. <laughs> yeah, you see where I'm going with it? I see where you're going. And uh, I took a bite of it like two-thirds of the way through the meal, and that was pretty much the end of tasting anything for the rest of the night. And I think all the tortillas, or all the tacos, are served with that, those long yellow peppers. Yes. I, be- I believe so. And they I, are. And uh, some knob onions along yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, the meat and the, the tra- tortilla, all very good. But uh, pro tip, or maybe rookie tip, don't eat the pepper, <laughs> unless you have extraordinarily powerful taste buds, which I don't. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting, too, now you and I at least have both been in Oaxaca to the, uh, the, the Hall of Meat Smoke. Uh, uh, Mercado 20 Noviembre? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that thing. Um, and it is basically this, this inside market where they're just grilling a bunch of different stands grilling meat and there's i don't even i didn't even understand how the system worked but they sort of sit you down and onions appear from one person and tortillas from another person and you've got your meat by the pound you didn't have to go around and select stuff they just brought it to you i selected the meat but then they they just told us that the other stuff was coming to us I had a similar, yeah. I had no idea what was going on when I was there, and I just accepted all the food and you then paid for it. But yeah, no, it was very well done. Whatever. And interestingly, I think the uh, the Nueva Leon people have a new place down in Pilsen called uh, Canton Reggio, and to me, it also seemed kind of modeled on that or similar markets in other cities. I mean, that's a Norteño restaurant, a long ways from Oaxaca, but I'm guessing there are other things like it in other cities. And you order meat by the pound, and they bring you all the other stuff, like the knob onions and so on, with it. Um, and it, it's interesting. It, it's, a, it's a different way of, of having meat that seems to have this definite uh, you know, cultural background uh, in, in Mexico that's coming to Chicago. And that sort of thing is one of the things I always like to see in, from Mexican food. I don't know that we get it necessarily that often, the things that, the the unfamiliar foods that just pop up one day because someone came from there. Have you, uh, when you were at that market in Oaxaca, or Ciudad de Juarez, did you by any chance have a nopale smoothie? I did not. It was fantastic. No. <laughs> now, I haven't seen that on any Mexican restaurant menus, but I think that's killer. I would try that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, if, for those who don't know, it's the paddle of the, uh, of the cactus that they peel all the little prickle, prickles off and then whip it up in a blender and it's a smoothie it's delicious yeah well what i think is really great about cruz blanca is it's a reaction against sort of the uh sort of more uh uh what's the word the sort of trendier hipster taco places where every every taco comes perfectly garnished Mm. on a little plate Mm. and everything's Mm -hmm. ready to go this is a very primal experience the meat comes it's grilled it's chopped for you it's put on a tray you're in charge of crafting each taco yourself with you know very spicy chilies or with nopales if you want to order those too um and it's it's very common in mexico and it's a taco experience i think that's just sort of becoming uh more popular in chicago and i'm glad to see it here because uh the the meat really is has a really great charcoal flavor and uh um it's a very uh you know personal experience you can make every one every taco your specific way 
Yeah, it's one of the things. I mean, not to not to say anything against hunting for tacos because I I do it assiduously, and there's there's lots of it out there. But I kind of like to see other forms of Mexican food pop up here when you see cochinita pibil on the menu. That's a a Yucatan style of basically burying some meat. It's a, a kind of barbecue. You wrap it in leaves and you bury it in a fire and pick it apart, and it's served with you know specific very spicy salsas and stuff like that vinegared onions yeah and uh those kind of foods coming to chicago um i am a little disappointed sometimes it it seems like taco places are all it's all you know everyone has uh you know asada chopped tacos and and you'll see you know a similar list of lengua which is tongue or um cabeza which is steamed steamed head uh (laughs) There's a description that makes you want want to order, doesn't it? Um, and I just I want to see I want to see different things. You know, and another lesser known other lesser known products that are coming up from Mexico now are spirits. Mezcal made an inter- started coming in big time in Chicago like in the last year and a half, two years. Before that, there wasn't a lot of mezcal. I mean, Rick Bayless has had it for like 20 years probably. A newer kind of beverage that I think is going to be the next mezcal, so tall. S-O-T-O-L. In fact, I have an article coming up in the Tribune about that, perhaps even this Sunday. Um, it's, a, it's made with what they used to think was an agave plant, which is what tequila and mezcal are made with, of course. But they, now they've found, I mean, like in the 90s, they discovered, yeah, it's not really an agave. It's a different sort of, like, plant growing in the desert and in the mountains. And the flavor of the soto you get from the desert as contrasted with the mountains is distinctly different. So... It's just coming into Chicago like this summer. There's, uh, Florida del Desierto is bringing in these, uh, this Sotal. And Ch- uh, Hacienda de Chihuahua is now available in Binnie's. Those are two different types of Sotal. I also think that following up on the, foot pr- foot the, in the footsteps of Sotal is going to be Ricea, which is sometimes called hillbilly tequila. And it's like a, a lower-end tequila that's made mom-and-pop places, much like Mezcal is, that uh, has barely gotten, gotten into stores yet. In fact, just this week, Florida Desierto is bringing in Ricea into Chicago. So I think the interest in Mexican food is kind of fueling the interest in Mexican spirits. And because everyone is interested in cocktails now, those spirits are finding their ways onto the tables of American restaurants. Well, if you want to go hillbilly in uh, Mexican food, oh, I can't think of the name of it. What's the stuff where... You'd basically take uh, pineapple juice and let it spoil. Oh, tapache? Tapache. I mean, there are places, you know, a place on the south side, which I'm sure is, uh, you know, the sort of thing that's illegal but winked at, where uh, people just make that in big plastic jugs, and you can, you know, you can get a a glass of that. Um, Slightly funky, yeasty-tasting, spoiled pineapple juice that has a little alcoholic kick to it, which is... You know, refreshing in a in a you know spiked Kool Aid kind of way, um, but yeah, that's uh, you know the, all these things are are new and trendy on the scene. Are we are we just? They're ancient. They're centuries they're old. Ancient, Some of them centuries old. They're ancient old. and then they're hot. We're just um, discovering that part yeah, of the new are world. We, are we just are we just spoiled brats that we need these new things? We need to exploit the latest thing from peasant culture no. every every no i don't minutes. think that is it i think it's that americans in particular are open to different cultures you go to a city like florence i defy you to find a mexican restaurant <laughs> uh and now part of it is because florence is next door to mexico but cities in europe i have found though i or asia i think is even more 
insular in that way, like Thailand. Try to find an Italian place in Bangkok. <laughs> there, there probably is a pizza chain of some sort, but most of the uh, foreign foods or ethnic foods are considered, in the words of a Thai person I was talking to, foods we don't eat. We just don't eat those. And now they have great Thai food. I can see why, you know, they, they love that stuff. But I think that people in other cultures are maybe not as open to the foods of cultures that are not their own than Americans. So you were, you were just standing in the middle of the street in Bangkok going, can't somebody <laughs> Give make me, an me Italian some spaghetti beef. <laughs> carbonara? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we just went to Japan, and their Italian food was by far the dominant foreign cuisine after Chinese food maybe uh, but the, you know non-Asian and it's interesting that you know in, in typical Japanese fashion they took it to a fairly high artisanal level in that they tended to have you know, they didn't have like red sauce uh, you know spaghetti joints they had Neapolitan pizza places with handmade you know wood burning ovens and things like that so it was done on a, on a fairly high level we, uh, we were in London last year and uh, ate only Mexican food. Now, Mexican food has made inroads into London, I think, because Indian food kind of whetted their palate for that spicier, more piquant stuff. Also, they have some pretty good Mexican chefs in London. So you had paneer tacos or what? <laughs> uh, no, we, oh, we had uh, a minty pea empanada, which, <laughs> which was fantastic. I mean, I thought it was such a beautiful fusion of a British food tradition and a Hispanic food tradition. And it worked very well. I mean, it's beans. It's a bean empanada, basically, but with minty peas rather than frijoles. Do they put, uh, like, Heinz baked beans on tortillas? <laughs> a buddy. <laughs> a bean yeah, buddy. A bean buddy, yeah. Um, what else do we have in this city? What, what other foods do people eat here? I don't know. Pizza. Nick, Nick hates deep dish. We know that, so... <laughs> Yeah, pizza's coming up for me. Uh, you know, I, I really... <laughs> you are put through the mill at that newspaper. That's right. They, well, when I did the first challenge, they were like, oh, that's a good idea. And then so now they're, uh, they're challenging me to do more. I think I uh, stepped onto a trap I didn't know that I uh, <laughs> should have done. But, you know, as long as I get to eat, that's all right. Um, yeah, I w I'm very fascinated to see a few Detroit-style pizza places or... the the chance to try Detroit-style pizza. Um, Polly G's is going to have a pizza on its menu that's a Detroit-style. Prepared yeah. by the great Dennis Lee. That's so right. what is Detroit-style? I don't even know. It's a, a, it's a square, a, It's a square. It's a thicker-style crust, um, sort of like a grandma pie in New York, that sort of thing. It has a, usually has very crispy edges from being baked in a pan. Uh, lots of cheese, and then usually the sauce is uh, poured on after it's cooked. Um, so you get a sort of fresh tasting sauce that hasn't been cooked to death and uh, really crispy edges um, and not the sort of crumbly, uh, heavy crust of like Chicago deep dish. Hey, Nick, I couldn't tell if Mike was being ironic when he said Nick hates deep dish. Did he mean that or do you really hate deep dish? Or? I just think it's just such a flawed food that it just drives me insane that people don't see its flaws. Like so which? Straight deep up. dish, pan, <laughs> all of it? Pan is great. I love, um, I loved Burt's. Like Burt's, yeah. And uh, Pequod's, when it's okay, they're, they're sort of falling on the dough, I think, right now. But the, the style of dough used in deep dish is so inferior that I just, uh, I can't even call it pizza. It's not, it is very, has lots of oil in it, 
which isn't as um, which is not common in pizza, and it has no dough development, so there's no um, mm. interior to it. Um, so pizza, you know, when it get, hits the hot oven, it expands, it creates all these incredible bubbles and and um, that sort of thing. And deep dish just sort of sits there; it doesn't do much um, because it's just there to hold things up. Because it's under the weight of a pound of cheese. Correct. Um, and uh, all of my issues with deep dish come down to the crust. I just, I can't get over it. I've tried for years to try to figure it out, and um, it just doesn't do anything for me. And I think that something like Detroit style is a great example of how you can do big, heavy pizza, but do it really well. Um, one of the things that, that I feel about deep dish, though, is that it is kind of dying out anyway. So. When people go off on it in a big way, I'm not sure I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that's... They're railing against something that's on its way out. It's anyway. on its I know, way but out. I, what I'm hoping to do by this sort of passion that I have... <laughs> is hasten its demise? Not hasten its demise. I want some mad pizza genius to, to fix this. To do it this. well. Yes. Mm-hmm. We need, if this is going to be considered one of Chicago's greatest foods, I want someone to do it well. I want someone to come into town and me be able to offer them, you know where to find the best deep dish? Here it is. This guy is doing really cool stuff, and uh, I, f- I wish I could be prouder of that. I feel that way about a lot of these things. I mean, there really hasn't been anyone uh, taking a new look at Italian beef, uh, except for uh, Beef Belly, which opened fairly recently. Um, you know, a lot of, the, again, we're sort of in the, those, the, the once ubiquitous, also kind of dying out, you know, neighborhood uh, Greek often hot dog stand that it would have the Italian beef or, or whatever, the gyros, all those things. There's just not a lot of innovation at that end of the market, and I don't think there's a lot of new places coming into it. We, did, you know, we had new places with hot dogs. But other than that, um, it's not... Uh, it's, you know, if, if better techniques are coming into other kinds of food, they're not coming into those. And it seems to me, you know, we were talking about foot-high hot dog or foot-high hamburgers, you know, just laying all this extraneous stuff, onion rings and so on, onto a hamburger. It seems like the deep dish pizza is a symptom of that same urge to just make stuff bigger. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, it was with pizza, I mean, if you, there are some of those pizzas that are so thin, I think of Pat's, uh, which a lot of people really like for thin crust pizza, but I just know, you know, feeding it to growing boys, I had to order quite a lot more pizza and pizzas all kind of cost the same amount no matter what and people like bulk and I've certainly observed this going out looking for old school pizza places there's a lot of them where even if they started in the 50s you can tell at some point they just built up the bread in the pizza to to make (laughs) it more substantial for people right because that's the cheapest ingredient Mm -hmm. to add to it is just a little more flour and it just it, it isn't uh it didn't enhance the overall experience, but it kept everybody fed. Yeah, no, that, that sounds about right, I think. Um, I'm trying to think of grotesque foods we can suggest that Nick eat 50 examples of. <laughs> yeah, I think. Maybe cheap candy bars. Yeah, How's that? Whole, Mars bar, cheap candy bars. Or yeah. a whole month of pepper and egg sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Could you get on that, Nick? No. Uh, uh, Letters to the editor. <laughs> yeah, you can suggest it to my editor, and I, then I will we do can that. go through that thing. Yeah, you know, I uh, I hope that my next uh, eating adventure has some sort of thing to it that I can uh, grab onto and, and love. 
uh, and pepper and egg sandwiches are not exactly one of those. Uh, there's candy, but I'm not a huge sweets person, so I'd probably be the, not a good person to talk to about that. <laughs> He's trying to explain his way out of yeah, it. Yeah, no, no I, before I we pass even... this on to some, like an intern, hopefully, can do this. Uh, though Chicago does have a very rich candy history, which is kind of True. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be something I could yeah. dip my toe into. No, you're I selling think. me on it. Yeah, See? No, yeah. yeah. Louisa, Louisa could handle it. Louisa always, loves candy, so she can do the, that. Yeah, uh, I think the that's fancy what fancy food should. show with the whole suitcase. That's yeah, right here. she keeps trying to pass candy off on me, and I uh, I try to stay away as I'm eating burgers and a trying to to stay around the same weight. Um, but yeah. I don't know what else. What else is quintessential? What are we? You know what? What I think is so totally unappreciated. I have a friend who lives in, uh, you know, kid, someone I grew up with as a kid who now lives in Providence, Rhode Island. And when he came here, what he wanted to eat that did not exist there was Polish food. And I feel like that's really. If there's anything we have that we don't appreciate. It's that kind of Eastern European food. And I admit... You mean beyond pierogies and Polish sausage? Even that. that. I mean, does anybody... You know, name a famous pierogi brand after Kasha's. Kasha's, right. Who just passed away. Um, Represented at Taste of Chicago, I believe. Was it? Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think that's, that's a... That's a cool food that uh, you, you know, if you, it's kind of less a restaurant food than it's those grocery stores that have like a hot foods counter. I feel like that's, that's really the, <clears throat> the place to go to find that kind of thing. But it's something that, that is a real standout here that I think gets overlooked a bit. I think that's a great point. And I would love to see um, a new restaurant or an old restaurant really embrace that and, and, you know, say, we're, by God, we're going to serve Polish food and, you know, like, you guys should try it because it's awesome because I think that it really can be done well. Kind of like what Bohemian House did with Czech food. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I will somewhere between mm-hmm. Red mm-hmm. Apple and Bohemian mm-hmm. House, I think that Culinaria, Culinaria, not Culinaria, that would be, you go through a, you go <laughs> C.S. Lewis a restaurant, cabinet right. cabinet and meet fawns <laughs> and elves. Um, culinaria, wherever that is, Culinaria with a Q, uh, which is in some suburb somewhere, I don't know. Um, but it, it seems like a little more, a little more upscale version of that. Clearly, I haven't been there since I can't even think of the city. But, but that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's another thing. I mean, there's, there's Polish guys making steaks or tacos or something in restaurants in Chicago, and they're not applying it to their own food, which I think has kind of been true of Mexican until fairly until, recently. Yeah, recently. You know, they're they're all making sushi somewhere and. You know, and their staff meal was fantastic, but mm-hmm. but what they made for regular people, you know, did it yeah, Nick, going through your list of uh, taco places, uh, I saw a lot of restaurants, or I read about a lot of restaurants that I hadn't heard of before. And years ago, like ten years ago, I did this series for the Chicago Reader on regional Mexican food in Chicago, and I think I went to just about every Mexican restaurant I could find, at least, and there were ninety, ninety-five or so. But there are so many more now, and I, 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 that's, I mean... There's like 95 in Rogers Park. Yeah. Right. Even Oak Park has one. Yeah, no, it's amazing the number, and they keep opening every day. And what I found the most interesting was uh, on the southwest side, sort of in, uh, around uh, Midway. And that area has seen an explosion of great new uh, Mexican restaurants and places that maybe I hadn't even heard of before, or places that have been doing it for a long time. Uh, that was... 
the best part about that whole thing was sort of exploring that area that I hadn't really been able to dig my teeth into before. Yeah, that remains kind of terra incognita for many, uh, for many of us. I mean, north side, of course, tends to get all the write-ups about food places near south. But yeah, the southwest side is, I bet there's loads of places there that will yield good stories if only one of us will look for it. <laughs> well, and the same thing with, with uh, pizza over there. I mean, I've looked for pizza in that area because there are a lot of old school pizza places that no one, you know, they, they might have a presence on Yelp because everything has one review from one guy in its neighborhood on Yelp, but, you know, nobody talked about on LTH forums. Steve Delinsky has not been in there. You know, whatever the usual whatever the usual rounds of how things get covered really hasn't happened until, you know, until someone, you have until to. Until it's sanctioned. Yeah. yeah, you have to decide to make a point of going there. You know, for something like tacos, they're not going to turn up, even if there's a cheap eats column. You know, no one's no one's going to review Genio's Pizza, on, you know, in in Gage Park or wherever it is. Right. Well, pizza's tough too because you have to order a whole pizza, and you know, a whole pizza costs you know twenty five dollars. You know, with a taco, you can kind of run in real fast, try a taco, see if you're dealing with a place that knows what they're doing, and if they're not, you just move on. Uh, so pizza's a little, you know, some restaurants are harder to to experience in a in a sort of efficient manner, and that's what's hard when you're writing about food, is uh, not wasting your time on bad food, but that's the hard part. Or you can do like Delinsky, where you go in, you order an entire pizza, you take two bites, and then you get up and yep. <laughs> yeah, Nick and I were talking about it. gathering data. Just get yeah. the data and run. I yep. mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's that's hard he's to just, do serious about it and you know often they're and he's going, fit he's very fit he's very, very fit, fit you know he does not waste calories and and they're they're asking you know do you want this to go and like no i'm good and sort of crushed behind this yeah no it was terrible yeah during the taco month there were many tacos that i wish i could have eaten more of and i just couldn't do it it was very hard though bad tacos were easy to push aside at that moment yeah just pile your paper high yeah yeah <laughs> so it doesn't look like you're and making up excuses uh do you guys make excuses up when you have, don't like the food that you're eating and uh need to leave i say the word fine a lot that oh it's fine. fine 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 how's it it's, tasting everything fine. fine everything's fine mm-hmm. thank yeah. you i make up i lie so much to wait well, give us some lies would you because I, I just I say i uh if i haven't finished you know three quarters of the meal i'll just say like something came up i need to leave right away <laughs> it was my it i was have my a meeting stomach, i forgot right? about my wife called i need to go i need to check um i can't tell the truth i don't know what it is about me i just feel like i'd rather make well it's up. not the server's fault i mean the server has really you know no no part she's just he or she is just bringing the food out so to kind of lay a negative experience on them seems kind of unfair to me yeah i mean exactly. talk to the chef talk to the cook there's a problem Right. Talk to your entire culture about why this wasn't good. Yeah, no, my, there was, uh, what was the Chinese place? Cow Cow that had great egg rolls and nothing else was good. My suggestion for that was always you go in and you order the egg rolls and tell them you're still thinking about what to order. And then as soon as, you, as you've eaten the egg rolls, you pretend you're a doctor who's just gotten a call and you shout loudly, What? You gave him 300 cc's instead of 30? I'll be there in five minutes. And you just throw money on the table and leave. Have you used that often? Because I might, I might try that. It's closed now, so I don't have <laughs> not, well, to. Not a cow cow. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, well, let's, uh, we're, we're close to wrapping up. What are we? 
Uh, but let's let's talk about uh, you know, talk about how things are getting covered. Uh, you know, we in some ways, you know, I I look at what's being you know at my Twitter feed in the morning, and it's eighty-seven lists of the best fried chicken to eat. Well, that's a good like, national yeah. national fried chicken day. Lists are something. I, I mean, if we want to address that, I'm curious to know. And and Nick, you're kind of locked into a list thing at the moment. But mm-hmm. your lists are serious. They I mean, are you're that, actually, right. You Thank actually you go there. You know, there's there's like real effort going to into it. And when I did them for Thrillist, I try. You know, I I was very serious about my own photos running with them because it was proof I'd actually that you went been there, there, right? Yeah. Right. And a lot of times I get the feeling that yes, people haven't actually been there, or people who don't really know the cuisine or know the city or know what the hell they're doing are just compiling the top five or the top ten or the top fifty. And then the restaurant retweets it and shares it on Facebook. Thanks so much for naming us number one. Like you didn't go there, right? But can you blame restaurants for doing that? Oh, I, not I don't at all. blame freelance writers for doing it. No, either. it's uh, it's just I the, think it's, the system. But yeah, it is the system, and I think that you should be. I'm very conscious of that, and uh, you know, I use lists as an example or an excuse just to eat as much as I can, and I think that that works because I do the work behind it, and you know, if I put together a list, I've eaten 234 tacos in a month or something like that. Um, and I think it's worth sort of pointing out when a publication maybe doesn't do that, um, because the only thing, the only way you can keep anybody honest is to, to point out when they're not doing such a good job. Um, and I think, uh, I think it's sort of not, I think especially for publications, they're realizing that sort of page views don't necessarily equal more ad revenue coming on. So I think it's not exactly that this is getting any worse than it. Was, right, at least in the Tribune, they have the like the top fifty or so in a in a single piece. You don't have to click through. Frequently, don't have to click through. Also, I think one of the advantages of list can be they provide thumbnail sketches of a lot of different places, and if it's done by a credible person, that's a very good thing. Well, and that's the issue. Is that, it is it done by somebody who I want to hear? And I think where they fall down frequently is when you try to rank those places and say this is the fir- the most good, <laughs> this is the second <laughs> most good. This is. Um, I would rather they be presented as like you know ten great places to go for pizza, not necessarily in order of decreasing importance or quality. But I want to know. Is Acadia better than Kumas and Edzos, or is Edzos better than exactly. Kuma and right. Acadia? Exactly, right, right, eggs, eggs and apples. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, anything else that we want to say about the state of the state of being writers trying to honestly and faithfully tell people <laughs> about food we like? Hmm. Oh, wow. Well, you know, one one last point about reviews, and and I think you touched. Because it's, it's all it's all we're not going to be writing anymore anyway. We'll soon be making two thousand videos a day mm-hmm. instead. So, ooh, <laughs> it's hitting kind of close fair. to the nerve, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> uh, that reviews and and Nick, I saw that your your taco pieces. I mean, that's kind of the continuing theme of our conversation here. But I think it's a good one. You tended to focus, with the exception of the of uh, Del Cero or De Cero, mm-hmm. you focused mostly on positive stuff, which I think is how I always tried to write reviews for the reader, and I did probably 150 of those reviews, rather than slam a place that I really didn't like. Although I would do that occasionally if I was I really felt 
there was justification for it. I'd rather lead people to a good place than warn them off a bad place. Oh, yeah. And I do that very selfishly because I don't want to eat terrible food all the time. <laughs> so you go to only good so, places, right? Yeah, so I'm very, I work very hard to make sure that I don't have to go to bad restaurants. Now, if I'm forced <laughs> to go, then I will try to be honest without being mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that there's any reason to tear down you know, the soul of a place. But if, mm-hmm. if something's not going right... Um, I did a uh, negative review of uh, St. Louis Assembly, uh, which, you know, is a new restaurant. And I was, would never have written a negative review if uh, it wasn't by a restaurant group that I respected and thought, you know, knew better, mm-hmm. I guess, is what I thought. Because mm-hmm. um, I do think people want to know whether or not to go to a place. And I'd rather have someone with an educated palate tell me. Uh, and I do think that there's power in negative reviews, but I don't enjoy those I guess and I think there's entertainment value too I think people that negative reviews when the, there's an acerbic wit ripping a place apart can be quite lovely it, yes <laughs> Entertain, uh, it's entertaining in kind of a sick reality TV sort of way yeah and I think that you need to have a negative base to for anyone to trust you as a right. reviewer you right. need, they need to know what you don't you're like. not just a fluffer it's right. not all yummy yes. it's not all yummy out there people I've seen things you wouldn't believe You've eaten things we wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I've eaten things that I, I've regretted instantly, certainly. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I will make a, a waving noise. Those of you watching the Periscope can see me waving at Ed. Well, that's our show. Thanks to everyone who came out to listen, and thanks to my guests, Nick Kimmelsberger of the Chicago Tribune and David Hammond of New City and Oak Park Journal. Thanks to Mary Slowick and Jasmine Hawkins of the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. Thanks to Miles and Liam for taking pictures. And big thanks to Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Network for engineering all these podcasts. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Subscribe to Food Reader Radio at iTunes or Stitcher. And read everything at foodreader.com, the total Chicago food experience. Thank you.